Hi, I'm Mike Fellamley of The Smoking Popes and The Bigger Empty, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Are you being realistic? As the story grows. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. Back to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. My name's Trav, and I got Mike Fellumley on the phone tonight. Dude, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're home because your wife helped us get set up, and I heard your dog. So thanks for taking the time to do this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. You got it. Got to thank Gary Strack from Raby for hooking this up. He was uh, nice enough to reach out to me and be like, hey, man, um, I'd like you to talk to Mike if that's possible. And I was like, of course. That sounds great. So, So here we are. New friends talking about music. We could dig it, right? Oh yeah. Thank you, Gary. Gary Strack. Have you Good ever guy. met you ever met Gary face to face? I have met Gary face to face. Dude, what a what a doll. Love that guy. He's got good taste in food. <laughs> he likes the, fishing. I was the, I didn't even know that. He came bouncing down the steps. In a studio one time, I was hanging out uh, doing recording and mixing and stuff like that at a, at a mutual friend's house, and the guy who owns the studio, his name is Phil, and his buddy Gary came over, and this guy comes bouncing down the steps, and I'm like, I don't know who that guy is, I, whatever, I, okay, fine. Dude, Gary and I talked for like hours, <laughs> he's, just, he's just one of those like, hey man, who are you? And we just got to talking, and yeah, Gary's a sweetheart, man, so thanks for doing this. So he reached out to me because you are heading up a whole new project called The Bigger Empty. And I, I am excited to talk about that because I like the discovery of finding something new. I know nothing about this group other than the fact that you played drums, play drums again, mm-hmm. for the Smoking Popes. And you are kind of like um, heading up The Bigger Empty. You play guitar and sing in this, right? That's correct. Oh, man. We got a multi-talented fella on the phone here. So <laughs> I kind of wanted, I mean, obviously everybody's going to want to hear some Smoking Popes and everybody wants to hear about the Bigger Empty. And I'm sure we're going to dip our toe in Alkaline Trio because people have heard of that band, believe it or not. But I kind of want this to be about you. So let's start from the beginning. And, and like, where did this all start for you? I start every podcast like this. I have to come up with a better way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, man, get, get it rolling. Let's get to know each other. How far back do you want to go? Where do you want to start with hmm. where it started? How old do you think the universe is, Mike? Let's go way back. No, I'm and I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No one does. 
Um, no, man, like, like, I guess the, the earliest thing that I know about is kind of like when, the, when the, when the smoking, po- when the, the three brothers that got, kind of got rolling for the smoking popes got started, you were kind of there in the early inception of it. You weren't the first drummer, but you came along, didn't you? Yeah. So there was another drummer. His name was Dave Martins. Um, okay. I think they had only played maybe two or three shows, um, with Dave as the drummer, uh, they were a band prior to being called the Smoking Popes. They were called Speedstick, right? And Dave was the drummer of Speedstick. And then they changed the name. They did a couple of shows as the Popes. One of which um, I was in a band called Article One. Okay, awesome, awesome band name. Uh, <laughs> that was in like 1990. Um, Article One opened for one of the first smoking popes shows okay in, in crystal lake illinois like in some like weird like event space over that was like just a like a ballroom i think some kids rented it out and we had to show up there and so we opened for the popes and then a couple weeks later um josh got my phone number from a mutual friend because I didn't really know those guys outside of, like, we played one show with them. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from Josh a couple weeks later. He's like, hey, man, uh, we can't find our drummer, and we have some shows. Do you want to play a couple shows with us? <laughs> and <laughs> Like they misplaced like, him? Or what, what does that mean? Yeah, like, they just, I, he somehow was just, had kind of disappeared for a time. I don't okay. really know <laughs> where or how or why. Has anyone found him since? Should we should we should we all get together and try to look for this guy? I think he's been found since. Good. Although I, I don't I don't really know him well. That's good but I think he's I think he's around. Okay, good. Um <clears throat> But they so we had and it's not like the Popes were like a big band at that time. They were, you know, just pretty much a local band. Right. But they were, you know, better than Article One considerably. So I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll I'll play some shows. And then they, so at that time it was just um, Josh and Matt Caterer. Um, Eli wasn't in the band yet. Okay. The, the third brother. And so they came over to my parents' house where we'd practice in my bedroom. <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors loved that. It was like an <laughs> upstairs bedroom. <laughs> Great. In a subdivision, like playing punk rock music. Uh, but how were your parents? Let's stop. Let's. I have some questions. How were your okay. parents on dragging? cabinets up and down the steps like you were banging the shit out of that house right yeah i don't know like and it's it was a nice house like we had a really nice house and i don't know why they let me do this stuff <laughs> <I was> unfortunate <laughs> like i had very tolerant parents like we had uh in our basement we had like really high ceilings in this basement so we built my brother and i built a spine ramp like half pipe Oh like man! Back back to back with the spine. Okay. And we would have like every weekend. It would be like skate sessions there. There'd be like twenty or thirty people there, like all day, every day. That's what's on like up. Saturdays and Sundays. And we were, you know, when we built the ramp, I was like fourteen or fifteen. My brother was sixteen, seventeen, and there'd be just all kinds of random dudes, like in their twenties, <laughs> like just down there skating with us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. 
Dang, how high was your basement ceiling? I can't picture anybody's house that I wouldn't have a severe concussion putting a half pipe in. The ceilings were 11 feet high. Wow, okay. So the ramp was about three and a half feet high. So nice. it was like a mini ramp. It was like three and a half feet high, like eight feet wide. And then we had a spine, so there were two of them. Okay. And it was just like kind of the place, especially in the wintertime, to, sure. to skate. So <laughs> we had the you know band practice upstairs in the bedroom and skate sessions in the basement. And we were just really very lucky to have parents that supported the goofy shit that we wanted to be doing yeah, at the time. Owe, you owe your parents a lot. There's no way there's no way my parents would have tolerated band practice upstairs and a skate party downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just all the time. That's like crazy. that shit's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for my dad, he was you know, he worked a lot and like traveled a lot for work, so my mom had to endure the the brunt of it. Oh man. So she's the true saint in this scenario so was she just like ugh, hands off whatever just don't light the house on fire or was she like making pizza rolls for 30 people at a time oh she was making pizza rolls dude mrs definitely mrs felomly go ahead good for her yeah she was like the type of mom when like a handful of friends would come over and like you guys hungry you want sandwiches <laughs> like right. she'd make us sandwiches it was great it was like very blessed and charmed way to to grow up having a, a mom like that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Pictures coming in to 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 vision here, you know? Yeah, so jammed in the in the bedroom with the Popes a couple times. Like I think it was after the first practice, um Josh and Matt were like they liked you know, they liked the rock <laughs> that we achieved and they're just like, Do you just want to be in the band? And I'm like, sure. So that set the rest of the Smoking Pope's history in motion, which is still, that's still being written as we speak. Right. Are you double dipping at this point in Article 1 also, or is that's over? Um, I don't, I, I can't remember exactly what happened with Article 1. I think if I was double dipping, it wasn't long lived gotcha. after that. Okay. Um, my brother was also in Article 1. And then he ended up starting a band uh, called Tommy Rot. Okay. And they featured uh, Glenn Porter on drums, who was the original Alkaline Trio drummer. Oh, wow. So, like, Glenn and I, and um, we went to, like, junior high and high school together. And, like, we were kind of the two drummers around Crystal Lake that, like, played in most of the bands. So my brother, like, after Article One, started that band with Glenn. And they were actually, they were a really good band. They, I think they did maybe one or two seven inches. They, I don't think they ever made a full length, but mm-hmm. you can do some digging. There's some seven inches around. I think they're kind of expensive at this point. <laughs> you can find it on eBay or something. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so you're in the Popes now. Yeah, and the first show, my first show I played with the Smoking Popes, I thought was was interesting. It was in Aurora, Illinois, which is like a way west suburb of Chicago. Okay. I don't even know if you call it a suburb. It's like its own. It's a pretty big town. It's like two hundred thousand population. Okay, but it was at the club, the club for the deaf. It was my first ever Smoking Pope show. It was actually a club for the deaf. So like okay. 
majority of the audience were deaf, but somehow they were st- still into punk rock. I, I don't know. What? I mean, I'm losing my hearing like a considerable amount, so. Sure. It wasn't, guess, cl- it wasn't the club for drummers with tinnitus. We all have that. But I mean, right. <laughs> the like, it wasn't just at that location. It was for the deaf people of the club. Yeah, I mean, that was... There's a story here. All there was about, like, maybe 20 people at the show. Okay. And I think the majority of them were deaf. Crazy. That's... Yeah. Okay. And we played on top of, like, pool tables that had sheets of plywood put sure. on top of them. That oh, was sure. the stage. Well, I remember that fairly vividly. I think I was 16. Man, that's... that's. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how to comment with that without sounding <laughs> rude. But, I mean, like, why... Why? <laughs> how? I mean, okay. How? I guess I have more logistical questions than anything. How are they into it if they're deaf? I don't know, but they seemed into it. Like it was fun. It was, but it was definitely an experience. And like for me, being sixteen in, in Aurora at that time, in the area we were in, was like not a nice area. Like, okay. Like kind of a high crime area. So I just remember being a little bit sketched out because I'm a sixteen year old from. Crystal Lake, which is just like a little nice suburban town, and yeah, playing this weird club in Aurora. Like, so I remember that day. It's a nice suburban town with eleven foot ceilings in the basement. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> a little different, huh? That's that's like the ultimate. I don't care where we play; just book a show. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't even notice the name. Oh, huh, hmm, interesting. You know, <laughs> and I think that was like the first show I've ever played where like. I, I made money. Okay. And I, like, we didn't get paid a lot, but I think like my cut of that show was like 20 bucks. Right on. Okay. So we must have got paid like 60 bucks or something. Sure. So I remember thinking like it was really cool that I just played drums for a half an hour and I made 20 bucks. Yeah. So like as a 16 year old, that's pretty cool. I'm thinking like. All right, I can do this. I can make a living at this. I just made twenty dollars. That's forty dollars an hour. You just got to figure out how to, you know? Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that from that show. Like, wow, I made twenty bucks. Started off in the in the uh, in a club for for the deaf, and eventually kind of climbed the ladder, and we got all the way to Capitol Records, and opening for Green Day, touring with Jimmy Eat World, Jawbreaker. Holy to shit! This list goes on and on and on and on and on. That's amazing. Yeah, that just went crazy. The crazy thing with the Jimmy Eat World is that they opened for us <laughs> on the tour we did with oh, them. Oh, oh, oh! It says they toured with. Label mates, the figs, and Jimmy Eat World. Wow, Jimmy Eat World opened for you. Yeah, we headlined that tour. <laughs> wow. How about that? I got, I got <clears throat> nothing. I, I'm not even sure you're supposed to be on my podcast at this point. After that <laughs> sentence, you should probably, we should call Gary and get you on a better show. <laughs> <laughs> or wow. we should beg them for us to open for them on their next tour, like they owe us one, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely, you should. 
like, hey guys, we took you out in 1995. Yeah. So, and you know, our shows, we were drawing like 50, 60 people, so that'd be a comparable tour to opening for Jimmy Eat World now. True story. Hand to God, true story. That's um, a fair trade. Earlier this week, I was, I, I was, or I, I went out with a band and I spent uh, the night at one of their houses. And he was like, I'm going to run my kids to my in laws. While he was gone, I'm going to take a shower. And then when he comes back, we're going to go to breakfast. And then I can start driving home, right? He, by the time he got back, I wasn't done yet because as I was walking past the TV, Jimmy Eat World was on his tell. He forgot to turn his TV off after he took his kids away. And Jimmy Eat World was on Yo Gabba Gabba or whatever that show is called. <laughs> and I sat on the couch in my underwear at my friend's house and I watched Jimmy Eat World on, on a kid's show. And I was like, now that's a whole new level of making it. Like that's... There's making it, and then there's we're playing to kids on a on a show that probably has millions of viewers a year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they open yeah, that's for crazy. you. How about that? They open for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like the the journey of going from playing at the club for the deaf to getting onto Capitol Records was. Kind of a crazy one. Um, yeah, I skipped ahead a little bit, didn't I? Wow. But, you know, we just started, we were just playing like a lot of <clears throat> garage shows and up in the northwest suburbs. And then like the next kind of big momentum builder was we got a couple shows. There was a place called McGregor's mm-hmm. out here. It's in... Uh, it's in Elmhurst, was in Elmhurst, Illinois, and that was kind of, that was like our version, it's not really the same, but it was like our version of like the Gilman Street or something, except it was just a sports bar that did all ages shows on Sundays. Okay. But it was like the hub of the punk scene in Chicago at, at the time, at least on the north side, like Jawbreaker played there, Green Day played there in 94. Mm-hmm. Um all the DC bands like Jawbox and Shudder to Think, um, just like every every touring bigger punk band of, of the era like would play there. And we opened up for Screeching Weasel there a couple times. And th- they were like sold out shows, but I think sold out at McGregor's was probably 250 people. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like it seemed like a lot. Um, so that was kind of like the next step of us gaining some momentum around here and you know a year or so after that we ended up playing uh, like a Thursday night at, at Metro in Chicago which was like the big main rock club and on a Thursday night we sold three or four hundred tickets so that made the Metro kind of take notice like whoa who the hell are these and we were still young I mean I think I was 16 or 17 still at that point Really? And Josh and Matt are both like a little bit older than me, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So the Metro was like, who the hell are these kids? You know, That's bring crazy. 400 people on a Thursday. And so that was like around our first record, um, Get Fired, around that time. And then we recorded... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Slow down. You're still, you're still 16 at this time? When so, Get Fired came out, I think I was 17. So within a year of playing the club for the deaf for the first time and making $20, you're, you're talking to capital. 
No, we hadn't talked to Capital just yet. Oh, my fault. Okay, all right, all right. I'm sorry. So, cause now I'm in like 1993, not, 92 going into 93. So, like, Get Fired came out, I think, early 93. Mm-hmm. Where I, I was still in high school. I graduated um, later in 93. So, Get Fired came out, and we were doing bigger shows in the city. And then into 94... Um, like I graduated from high school and Eli graduated the same year so then he was able to join the band we became a four piece Eli was actually on Get Fired too so he must have been allowed to join slightly before he graduated mm-hmm. remember that was the rule for the longest time though like he, Eli can't join until he's out of high school okay that was the thing but I think somehow they broke the parents down and they let him join before that <laughs> right <laughs> Then we did like a couple, couple tours. Like we did a tour with the Bull Weevils, which was just like a self-booked punk tour. After that, we recorded um, "Born to Quit," which ended up that ended up being the cap, the record that came out on Capitol, the first one. Okay. But we, re- we recorded it. It was self-financed um, to record, and then it originally came out on Johan's Face in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we put that record out, the the radio station here, the Q101, they started playing it on Sundays on like the local show. They played started playing one of the songs, and that got enough people calling in that we actually got added to like their main rotation on the radio. Like so, they're playing it twenty times a week or thirty times a week, Jeez. and then that's kind of what sparked all the interest from the major labels and that was like 1994 gotcha like okay 94 sometimes so 94 i think i was 18 i was gonna say still you're 18 years old wow it's 18 maybe going on 19 and eli is a year younger than me so he would have been like 17 turning 18 at the time Jeez, man wow that's impressive and, and like super scary 18 like to think that I have a I have a fourteen year old son. To think that in four years he would be an artist on Capitol Records, I would just be like, "Oh my God, he's going to get shredded out there, man!" <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so parents are on board with this. They were like, "Rock and roll, go, son." You know, we'll keep your ramp for you. Or was it like super scary? Or oh my God, you're nuts. Go to college. What's wrong with you? What was the What was the temperature at home? Um, my parents were real supportive of it. Like I had all throughout high school, like. I had pretty much always said that I'm not going to college. Okay. And I know they wanted me to want to go to college, but, like, I was not going to go to college. Like, I remember being a sophomore in high school, talking to a guidance counselor, and they're like, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to play drums. I'm like, well, what are you going to do if that doesn't work? And I was just like, it's going to work. It's going to work. I'll make it work. That's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like, you should, you know, I didn't take the SAT test or any of that stuff like that you're supposed to do to like get ready for college because i knew i wasn't gonna go Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna play music and they're like what about a backup plan and i just like i'll figure that out later yep like for right now i'm gonna rock and that's still going fortunately i was able to do that for a long time i mean i i have a full-time day job now so i did have to figure it out later but i figured it out what do you do for a living now i work for a digital marketing company okay 
uh, that's out here in Lake Naperville, Illinois. And we we build websites and do videos and um, digital marketing campaigns for a bunch of clients, a lot of like auto dealers and stuff. It's not that interesting, uh-huh. but it's not that bad. <laughs> not that bad either. I'm always interested in what uh, people. Who, I'm I'm doing the math in my head. You're mid to late thirties now. I'm forty two. Oh, that's how good I, obviously I'm not a math teacher. Okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, I'm always curious what st- people who still kind of have a foot in music and what they do for a living during the day so they can <laughs> still be kind of freed up to do it because I, I, I got into the service industry. I got, I mean, I can do whatever I want after work. I got to go to work the next day though. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I can't yep. get, I can't get in the van for very long cause I have to be home again, you know? So I'm always curious what people do to kind of be like, yeah, I'm leaving for three weeks and the boss is like later and they can do that for a living. It's kind of a, it's a delicate balance you have to strike, especially with a family and you know, a wife and mortgage and you got to like keep gas in the car and all that. You know, I, I, I actually don't think that's dull. I, I, I'm, I'm always curious about that cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy of that age, you know, I like hearing that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hard because like I'm at the career that I have, I'm not able to get in the van for three weeks at this point either, mm-hmm. which the more, you know, the last year or so, like the Popes have been more active and the bigger empty has been more active, both bands. And like the more I do it, the more that that's all that I want to do. Right. You know, you'd think like, well, you get to, you're doing it more, so you should be like satiated by that or whatever. But like right. the more I do it, the more I think like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like I'm supposed to make music. Mm-hmm that's like my purpose in life. So it's like the more I do the rock excursions, like the harder it is to go back to work. Gotcha. Rock excursions. I like that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that is your current working title. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> rock excursions. Rock excursions. We've been doing a lot of little like regional trips. Like we did a couple different like weekend trips to like Indiana and up in mm-hmm. um, Wisconsin. And I've got some stuff coming up. I just, did a handful of bigger empty shows in Texas and we're going to San Diego next week. Dang. Okay. And it's just like for, we're flying out, playing a show and coming back. Yeah. Uh, necessary evil, I guess the fly out stuff, right? Yeah. Like Texas, we we flew down there, played three shows and came back. And like <laughs> right. after the third show, I'm like, just was in that mode where, I yeah. want to play more. Like just, one, I'm just like, getting warmed up, dude. I got to go back to work. So yeah. Keep driving to the next one. Like I started to get into tour mode. Right. And then you got to go back to work. So that's it's hard to switch those gears. I feel you. Okay. Fair enough. They seem like innocent words. Maybe I heard them wrong. I never knew what they were. I was singing a different song. Things that they say about what he's supposed to be. This kid believes what he reads. 
I know that uh, Josh, the lead singer of, uh, you already know where this is going, right? <laughs> Josh, go ahead. Josh, the lead singer of uh, of Smoking Popes, uh, became a Christian in I, mm-hmm. I think I read ninety uh, May of ninety eight, and he quit the Popes in ninety nine. Tried to incorporate my faith into what we were doing; it just didn't seem like a good fit. Um, tried to tried to kind of pull lyrically and the content toward in that direction, and I think it, it actually caused enough of a problem with Capital that it didn't work out, which led to another band called Duvall. Can can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Like are you are you are you a gentleman of faith? Is that something that, that was a big deal for you or it didn't matter? Or oh my God, Josh, what are you doing? We're committing suicide. Like what what was going on? Um I'm I'm not a gentleman of faith. Okay. Um and I'd say back at, at the time around around like ninety eight I was like pretty much anti-faith. Mm. Okay. Like not only was I not a gentleman of faith, like I was like <laughs> anti-faith. Got it. And so that was a t- that was a tough one for me. Okay. Wow. Because at some of the shows, like towards the tail end, certain times, like Josh would play like a cover song that like had the word Jesus in it, and like I I was really uncomfortable. Really. With okay. that happening. You know, at that age, I was like, "Wow, people are gonna think I'm a Christian." Now, at the at this point now, you know, these days, like, I don't care if, like, if Josh wanted to sing a song about Jesus on stage right now, like, I don't care, and right. I don't have any issues with. I have zero issues with anyone's faith mm-hmm. anymore. It's just like when I was, you know, twenty or twenty-one, whatever that that was, was different. Like. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if if people think that the popes are Christian now, or if they think that I'm Christian because I'm in band with Josh and Josh and Matt are both men of faith. And mm-hmm. but it, you know, in 1998, it was definitely an issue for me, and it was for I know I think Matt and Eli are fairly uncomfortable with it too. Mm, okay. So it it just kind of made sense for you know the band to just like not be a thing anymore gotcha and then it wasn't until uh, Duval we started up must have been like 2001 2002 I think when Duval fired up and I was uh, I was part of that band for the first year or two and it was uh, me and Josh and Eli and a uh, friend of mine named John on bass. And that was more, you know, the lyrics weren't like overtly Christian, but it was like the songs were definitely Christian songs, like you could tell. Right. Bumping up against it. Right. Mm hmm. Uh huh. But by that time, I didn't really, I thought the songs were good, so I didn't care. Mm hmm. Like, I'm not a person of faith, but I can still appreciate that these are good songs. Gotcha. So, I I don't have any any trouble playing drums to them. Sure. <laughs> um, and then I I was with that band the first couple of years, and then uh, a couple of years later I I left the band and <clears throat> had to do like we were touring a lot and just it wasn't taking off in a way to where it was really financially super viable for me right. to do. Mm-hmm. 
It wasn't over the religious stuff. It was just time to go. Yeah, it was just okay. like, yeah, okay. this isn't quite, not quite doing it. Got it. So that's when uh, I think Rob Kellenberger joined after after I left. Okay. And took over on drums. But it was just, <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't really growing. Like, I thought somehow, like, we could get that band to the level of, like, what the Popes were. And for whatever reason, it, never, it didn't catch on quite the same way. Who was, so who was after, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, you can go ahead. Who was Duvall out with? You said you were touring constantly. Like, like, like how, how was it? <laughs> how big of a show or, you know, like who were you out with? Uh, we were you, were you opening? Were you the opener? You know, we did some headlining tours. We opened, we had like a week or so with Dashboard Confessional. Okay. Up West, which right. was really cool. Um, we did a, just a one-off, but at like a stadium in Madison with Weezer, which was really cool. Wow. Um, that was, I think that was the biggest crowd I've ever played to. It was like their basketball stadium, which was Jeez. like 17,000 people or something. Um, I think in, I think when we were in Duval, we did open for Jimmy Eat World once in Detroit at the shelter, or not the shelter, but St. Andrew's Hall. Okay. Pretty sure that was Duval. So we did a lot of like one-off shows with some bigger bands, and then we did a bunch of like regional kind of headlining tours. Um, I I had my record label, Double uh, Zero Records, going at that time. Okay. Wow. It, uh, it was I think it was almost a nationwide like Double Zero Records tour where like Duval headlined, and we had um, my soul. I I was on that tour as like a solo guy. Okay. And a couple of double zero bands on the tour. So just a whole bunch of kind of random random stuff. You were running your I own know. label called Double Zero Records at that time? Mm-hmm. Wow, yep. dude. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I ran that from like 90, 98 I started it and it ran until about two thousand three or two thousand four. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of distributors go bankrupt on me and so I lost a lot of money. And just, I don't know anybody that's run a label that didn't lose a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, it's kind of like doing the band thing. You're doing it because you love it, and then you get into it and realize how much it costs, and you're like, it's kind of affecting how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I get it. Oh, man. All right. So then somewhere along the lines here, you found your way into Alkaline Trio for, for an album and a tour. You, um... My buddy who helped me edit the show threw that at me, and he said, um, he said, uh, he was in Alkaline for two years, and uh, he did one record and one tour cycle. He was on their best record. Ask him about that. <laughs> so, he, uh, you were, you were on the his favorite Alkaline. So, so wh- how'd that happen? Yeah, the Alkaline Trio thing happened like it was in between Smoking Popes and Duvall. Okay, because Popes broke up in 1998, and. Duval, I think we started in 2001 or 2002. Okay. And I joined Alkaline Trio in uh, 99 
happened. Maybe, yeah, it might have been December of 1998. Actually, I can't remember. Oh damn! Okay. 98 or 99. But like, I just had, I was working some crappy job at like a call center or something, mm-hmm. and I uh, got a call from both Matt and Dan called me on speakerphone, and they were just like, "Hey." And I had known of the band, like, they opened for the Popes, like, the last, I think it was the very last Smoking Pope show at Double Door in Chicago, and, like, Alkaline Trio opened that show. So, like, I was familiar with them, and I was already kind of a fan of their music. And we were, like, acquaintances, like, I was an acquaintance of Matt and Dan, I wouldn't say we were buddies, but I knew who they were. So, mm-hmm. and they called, and they said, you know, they, they had just kicked Glenn out of the band hmm. and wondered if I would be their drummer. And I was like, sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah, sitting at work drummer. one, get to sitting at work one day and alkaline trio gave you a call. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Now at that time they weren't quite near, you know, they weren't nearly as popular as they are now. Gotcha. Right. They were, but you could tell like it was a special band. Like this band is going to be a big band. Right. But, like, the first tour I did with them, I, I joined, like, right when Maybe I'll Catch Fire came out. Mm-hmm. So I did all of the touring for the Maybe I'll Catch Fire record, which I did not play on. But uh, the, my first tours with them, we would draw, you know, 150 to 200 people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, we were, you know, selling out 1,000 capacity venues over the course of, like, a little under two years. It went from, you know, 150 people to 1,100 people. Wow. So that was, that was really fun. It was fun to see a band grow like that. You know, Alkaline Trio on a national level got, you know, commercially far bigger than, than the Popes ever were. Sure, sure. Why, so was, why, why'd you leave? Um, I was asked to leave uh, after like one of our, we you know the couple years I was in the band we toured like crazy like tons and tons of touring, which is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I I was married at the time and I have I have a son who was really young at the time, and I know we were had been going over like kind of future tour plans and. Um, I had some issues with how long we were going to be out for a couple of different things. And we had some back and forth on that. And it was like, I don't know, a day or two after we got home from our the last tour I did with them, which I think was, might've been with face to face or somebody. Okay. And Matt just called and was just like, yeah, I don't want you to be in the band anymore. I'm like, okay, why? And I mean, he didn't, I didn't get like a full explanation, but I'm assuming it's, it was because I couldn't, they probably wanted somebody that was right a lot more willing to do more, you know? Yeah. Because I know we were talking about doing like um, the full Warp Tour and the full Plea for Peace Tour, which would have put us out for like five or six months straight without a break. And I was pretty standing pretty firm on like, I'll do one or the other, but I'm not doing both of those. I can't. And so I think that was probably a large factor. Sure. Gotcha. 
And I think I, I had a lot of health issues at the time, and I think Matt thought that I wasn't into it as much as I was. Mm-hmm. So like felt like crap most of the time on tour in those days. I had a lot of stomach problems and things like that, so I was mostly miserable and probably not that fun to be around. Ugh. What was wrong? Like, what was wrong with you, if you don't mind me asking? I don't know. I had like I never really got figured out what it was. Like just really bad stomach problems to where you would be for lack of a better word, you'd be like crapping ten or fifteen times a day. Ugh. And I did all the tests, like the colonoscopies and the scopes and all that stuff, and like they could never figure out really what the problem was. But it kind of like just it's gone now, like kind of went away after. So I think it was just I don't know if it's stress related or or what, but oh man. So it was because I would I would uh, a fairly thin person, but like right now you'd look at me and say I'm thin and I weigh like 170 pounds. And I know the last tour I did with Trio and got home I weighed 123 and I'm six feet tall. I'm no doctor, but that doesn't sound right. No, like I remember when I did, uh, I went in for a colonoscopy. And when I was under, like they put you under for that. The doctor put me under, then he came out to the waiting room and talked to my wife and asked her if I was on drugs. Because mm-hmm. he thought my whole, all my problems were that I, was, I must be on drugs. Okay. Because how else would I be so skinny and have all these problems? <laughs> right, okay. I was not on drugs. Like, I've never been a drug user. Mm-hmm. Don't even smoke weed. I eat candy bars and I drink Coca Cola. <laughs> I don't even really drink. So, but like the doctor, but looking at me, you would think like that dude's on drugs. Sure. <laughs> oh, he's in a rock band and he's skinny. Heroin. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. I, I yeah. I mean, that's what. Way to go, Doc. What it would look like. So I guess, and he asked me if I was on drugs, and I said no. Like. Guess he didn't believe me, so I had to go ask my wife when I was under. <laughs> <laughs> that came. To, it, it says on the Wikipedia, uh, due to personal friction with Matt Matt Skiba. So yeah, and I wouldn't say there was never really personal friction between Matt and I. Like we never had like a fight, right? Or fights like up until the day that he kicked me out of the band, I would have considered him friend. I would still be his friend. Like if I saw him now, like there weren't, it wasn't like sure big fights or like really heated. Nothing was ever really heated or anything. It was just like, I think he felt like he, there was a, a path that the band needed to go. And he felt that I wasn't the guy to get there. Right. And Looking at it professionally, I can probably agree with him. Yeah, I see where he's coming from now that you explained it. The years following, I mean, they toured like crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're as huge as they are. I mean, it's a huge part of why they're as huge as they are. Because they were doing like 200, 250 shows a year, like those next three or four years there. Right. And like, I wouldn't have been able to, to keep that pace. So they found a guy in Derek, who's a very good drummer, that could do that many shows. Right. And the rest, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. So we covered some Smoking Popes. We covered some Alkaline Trio. We covered you in your freakishly tall basement. 
<laughs> we covered you and your regular work job, your boring nine to five. I think it's time for us to talk about your uh, your newest project. project he sent me the ep it's called lakes and oceans volume one and I click here and i was like all right linked me to a dro- uh, to a dropbox folder and i just started streaming the stuff while i was washing dishes or something boring or whatever and um i'm a metal guy and i like i'm very very selective with my punk and my indie and that kind of thing but i do i do uh i am into that kind of stuff and i really i really enjoyed this i like i like um what i heard a lot of was uh I assume it's you kind of starting off a lot of the songs. And then by the end, there's like kind of a multi, kind of a multi vocal thing going a lot of layered vocals, a lot of stuff to sing along to pretty good stuff, man. I I, I really enjoyed it. So, so let's, I want to talk a little bit about how, how that came to be. Cool. Yeah. So that the bigger empty kind of came from, I, you know, I've been off and on putting out solo music since 2001 ish mm-hmm. like i put out a, a solo full length in 2001 and around about the same year i put out a split with dan from alkaline trio and on those i would play most of the instruments like i would play drums bass guitar sometimes i would have like josh or eli come in and do like a, a guitar solo or something because i can't really shred <laughs> on guitar and those guys can shred but uh, so I've been doing that off and on in around like 2006, 2007. I started playing with these guys, um, Ruben, Kevin, and Jim. Mm-hmm. They were a band called Sketch Middle in the 90s in Chicago. And they started be, I started using them as like my, my backup band for solo shows. Okay. And I, I recorded an EP with them back in the like 2008 um it was just still under my name the split with a band called friendly enemies but like they played on it okay and whenever i play shows like these three guys were my band and then i started making in like 2014 or so i started making another record that was going to be a solo record and then rather than just do another solo record we talked and we're like why don't we just call this why don't we just have a band name for this? Sure. Because it, it starts to feel more like a band. Like um, Ruben Baird, who plays bass, like he helps arrange a lot of the songs and he engineers a lot of the recordings. And, you know, Kevin Bastion on drums, like puts his own flair to things. So, and uh, Jim Steincross was our guitar player at the time. He's since left, but he was. Uh, when we started the project was the guitar player so we just felt like this should be a band this shouldn't just be like a dude's name because <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not just me playing all the stuff right right <clears throat> it became it became less of a you and more of an us kind of a thing uh-huh mm-hmm. 
So we turned it into the bigger empty. We, we released our first EP called Versus the Cloud in uh, 2015. And then, I don't know, around a year or so ago, like I had wanted to add a female vocalist. Like I've been wanting to do that for years and years. It's just hard to find a female vocalist that like also plays keys. Mm-hmm. I wanted to add both of those. Mm-hmm. Like there just aren't enough women that play rock music. I wish there were more. There needs to be more. So hopefully some young women will get inspired by our band. <laughs> I love it. Um, we had Amanda Modry join um, just about a year ago, and I think adding her and you know this latest EP is the first recorded material that she's on, and I think oh wow, she um, I think she really kind of completes our sound and took it to where I wanted it to be because the the first EP, well, I like it, like it's pretty much just standard like pop rock band and mm-hmm. could be you know it could be a number of other bands like they're good pop rock songs but there's nothing that unique about them but i think now with having amanda's piano playing and like her singing along with mine like gives us our own kind of special mix right that's like kind of makes us just a little bit different how'd you come up with the bigger empty it was actually a, the a name of a song and the, the lyrics were actually written by a friend of mine who's also an author. His name is Brian Berkland. Mm-hmm. And the song was about a dog that I had. His name was Jet. And he would, uh, he was a super great dog and just awesome in the house. But if ever you weren't paying attention, like near a door, like he would go. <laughs> He's a flight risk. <laughs> He would go. And Elope, like he he would was just, elopement, elopement risk. They call him. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, like, and he would go like miles. Oh, like, oh no, that's scary. And he was a real fast runner. I remember driving one time when he got away. Like, he's running down the sidewalk, and I'm driving b- beside him, going like 26 miles an hour. <laughs> that's how fast he's running. <laughs> Makes you feel like he doesn't love you because he's like, "Yeah, I'm cool around the house. The minute I get out of here, you son of a bitch." I'm taking yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, I felt a little better. Like, I have a friend named Ken who, like, this dog loved Ken more than anybody else in the world. Okay. And Ken, Ken would watch him sometimes, and he ran away from Ken. And when that happened, I'm like, okay, I feel better. Feel better now. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't just hate, he just doesn't want to be, Jet can't be contained. He just wants to run and kill things. Like, he liked to kill critters. Jet's like, but he just wanted to he's like, run look. and find. Look, Mike. Look, Mike. It's not you. It's me. Okay. I just, yeah. I just have to run. I gotta run. I gotta <laughs> kill stuff. They're critters to be killed. I gotta, I gotta. I just gotta murder rabbits. You don't understand, man. It's what I do. <laughs> what kind of dog? What kind of dog is Jack? I'm a dude. You tapped into my dog side. I'm a dog lover. What kind of? He was. Kind of I don't know. I wish I knew what he was. He was like a a lab terrier mix of some sort. I'm sure he was like maybe sixty pounds. 50 pounds. Hmm. Um, this like, looks like a black lab, but it's a lot smaller than an actual black lab. Okay. Because I think, you know, normal labs are like 80, 90 pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up with labs and they, they, uh, I never had any killers. 
they'll definitely like I'll, I'll throw the I damn think- throw the damn tennis ball until my shoulder gives out, and they're like more, and I'm like no, I threw the ball thirty times, that's enough. But the terrier, like the terrier, is probably where the killer side came from. Really? Okay. He wouldn't just kill; like he would eat them too. Like whatever he caught, Ugh. he would eat the whole. <laughs> oh man, this one goes out the but- jet. So the bigger empty is a song about about Jet, about his adventures. Really, huh? I'm I'm so glad I asked that. Usually it's so cheesy to ask like, "How'd you get your band name?" But that's actually an awesome story. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Jet sadly is he's no longer with us. Like he, we had to put him down. Sure. Just a couple months ago, but he oh, was. Oh man. He was a great guy. He was I. He was a a rescue dog, so I'm not sure exactly how old he was, but okay. I'm gonna guess. 14-ish. So he had a long, happy life. Good for Jet. Aw, poor guy. This one goes out to Jet. Uh, he's running free in the sky, killing killing rabbits and he's squirrels. Somewhere. Like, like how, how can you justify dog heaven where a place where he could still just murder other animals? Like, does that work cosmically? Is that... That sounds like a bad karmic mix to... Well, maybe like, these are, like, fake animals that taste like real meat, but like they're a, not. Like a decoy. Almost like a simulation. <laughs> Yeah, they're decoys filled with Velveeta cheese because that's like his favorite. <laughs> I'll buy that. <laughs> okay. It's Velveeta in the shape of a rabbit that can run. Did you hear that? All the little kids who are listening and want to know where their dogs are going after they die? Dog heaven where all the things that they chase down are filled with Velveeta cheese. Boy, this got weird at the end here, didn't it? <laughs> what's, uh, what's cooking with the bigger empty? Are you guys... Are you guys uh, you guys, you said San Diego. You said you're doing flyouts. You're kind of trying to ramp up and step up your game and, and do more with it. You also got the Popes going on. They're back together. Kind of. They did a reunion in uh, 15, 2015, I think I read. I, I, my phone blacked out. I didn't open it back up yet. But you got. You've been. You didn't join the reunion right away. There seemed to nope. be some weirdness. But now you're in, right? Yeah, I I joined back in like. It's been about three years, two and a half, three years since I've been back. Okay. They first got back together, I want to say, like 2005-ish, 2005, 2006. Oh, oh, okay. So they've been back uh, together a while. You joined recently. Yeah, I rejoined, I think, in 2015. Okay, that's what I read. All right. Like, we had a lot of just kind of typical bullshit issues that you would have with people that you played in a band with for 10 years. Okay. That, you know, as a more mature adult, you realize, like, we're pretty stupid. <laughs> okay. That's the only way I can put it. Like, we didn't have, because, like, there, again, with the Popes, there was, like, no, like, massive crazy falling outs between us. But it was just, like, a lot of stuff that you get bitter about and hold little grudges about, which is just, like, when you're years removed from it, you realize it's just like trivial kind of bullshit stuff. Yeah, got you. And, you know, as soon as we started, like from the first practice, like back with them, it was like obvious, like, yes, this is, this feels like the band. Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun. Um, and then on the bigger empty front, we're doing um, the Lakes and Oceans Volume 1. It was the first of four EPs that we're doing this year. This year? So, wow. Yep. Doing like one per quarter. Wow. 
Look at you getting all box set and concept about it. Wow. I know that's like a really smart thing to do with a tiny band that nobody's heard of. Good move. Definitely. <laughs> Super smart. So we're working on, uh, we're working on volume two right now, which the song, there is a song called the bigger empty about the jet dog. That's going to be on volume two. Okay. So that one, we're uh, recording that right now. It should be out sometime in June. So we'll be. It better just, be, or you're going to fall behind schedule. Yeah, I mean June's the last month of the of Q2. So Q2, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Got to get so, the fourth yeah, one out. Got to get the fourth one out by the fiscal, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the fourth one you really got to get out by September because you can't, or first week in November at the latest. Because after that, you can't put out, you can't put something out over the holidays because that's like Beyonce's time. Oh, I see. Okay, Beyonce and like Jay Z, they get to do that. But that's Beyonce time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to get it post- out earlier than that, so you don't have to compete with people who accidentally sell 300,000 albums a day. Gotcha. Good move. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Popes are also working, we're working on a new record right now. Um, we've been rehearsing like once a week, which is a lot for us. Right. Um, I think we're, we're sitting on like nine, nine new songs. Dang. Um, and they're getting pretty well formed. And I know Josh has just been on a roll writing like pretty much every practice he's got something new so we will probably start recording that sometime over the summer here and that'll come out in 2018 like a new full length i'm excited for that too nice man new popes cool very cool where can people get uh volume one uh the probably the easiest place is on uh if you want to stream it's on spotify okay uh, it's on iTunes as well. If you like physical CDs, um, our record label is uh, La Escalera Records. Okay. We have a, an online distro called laescaleradistro.com, I think is the web address. Mm-hmm. And it, you can get the CD there. You can also get like a T-shirt and CD bundle from them. Okay. You could come see us at a show. I could. Except you play San Diego, you, and I live on the opposite side of things from San Diego. How well, often? Well, just have, how often you get out? East. Yeah, man. How often you get out to Pennsylvania? We need to. I know it's been discussed. <laughs> um, either the Popes or the Bigger Empty will be to Pennsylvania sometime this year. I'm pretty sure. Awesome. Just when exactly? I've done a bunch of shows lately where the Bigger Empty opened for the Smoking Popes. Okay. And I like that for a number of reasons, like. I don't have a lot of time to go out and rock, so if I'm out, I like to be able to maximize it. Sure. And play both bands, and then it's obviously nice for the bigger empty to open for the Popes because the Popes draw a lot more people. Mm-hmm. So we're playing like a much better show than we would on our own. And then the fans are always really nice. I don't know if they feel obligated to be when the bigger empty plays, but we always get a good response. Right. I don't know. If Maybe they feel like they have to be polite because they know that I'm going to play later in the band that they came to see, but either way, I'll take it. <laughs> Whatever. It's formative. You put your time in with the Pope. So, I mean, if, if that's giving a slight advantage of the bigger empty, good. Take it, man. Any angle you can get. It's, it's not a gimmick. It's an angle, you know? And I think, you know, musically, 
the bigger empty is not that much different than the smoking popes like obviously i was hugely influenced by josh's songwriting like i yeah. learned to play music by playing drums to his songs sure so i mean i've been playing drums to josh's songs since i was 16 years old and i did that you know for more than a decade so like his songwriting style has kind of seeped into me. I think he's better than me, but I don't think, like, if you like the Smoking Popes, I don't think it'd be a stretch for you to like the Bigger Empties music sure. either. Like, it's pretty similar. Dude, thanks for your time, man. This was fun. Anything else? You got? You got anything else you want to promote? I think I think we covered it just about everything. Although I guess we didn't touch on. I do a thing um, called Live from the Rock Room. I don't even know about this. You're on your own, buddy. Go ahead. So, it's a YouTube channel that I run that features. I have a base uh, studio in my basement here at my house. Okay. And Ooh. we have bands come in, and I do, like, live video sessions. Get out, dude. Really? And we put out, like, two videos per week. Um, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have a new video. Um, we've had some pretty awesome bands. We started with the Smoking Popes, like, Popes were sure. like guinea pig. Um, but we've had Off With Their Heads, Bad Cop, Bad Cop, Red City Radio, like, tons of awesome bands. So, yeah, check out the YouTube. It's just YouTube.com slash live from the rock room. So you keep saying we. Who's we? Are you getting help with it? Uh, yeah, it's a buddy of mine. Uh, Ken Noka does all the uh, video. Like, he shoots and edits the video. I, I do all the audio recording. Okay. And all then right. my, wife, my wife does uh, craft services. She um, craft. provides the food and beverage for the bands. Oh, right on. You got to. I mean, sure, you got to. And it's we because it's, you know, it's half her house, too. Sure. So she lets us do it. <laughs> <laughs> she lets you do it. Fair enough. All right. Well, well, that's that's incredible. My God. You have, like, bands like Hoof. Like, do you have, like, Backline already set up? Are they just coming and plug in, or are they dragging stuff in and out? No, I, they so far, every band has used most of my Backline. Gotcha. Like, they'll use my drums and my uh, guitar cabinets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had, I don't know, 60 or more bands through in the last year. Come on. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're closing up on, uh, we're almost up to 100 videos out on the channel now. So check it out. I know you're a metal guy. This is mostly punk stuff. I, I like, I, I mean, I... I like, I like punk stuff, too. But, I mean, if I'm, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna classify a genre or something like that i'm definitely like a post guy and and i mean like but i go i go kind of deep with like i go i go deep with bad religion i do get back there with the punk stuff and everything but i don't i don't celebrate the entire catalog you know what i mean very picky are you into like are you into like the mathy stuff very very much okay so. so you go after we hang up yeah go to the live from the rock room channel yeah 
Watch the Lifted Bells videos. Fuck yeah, Lifted Bells. Bob Nana's like my hero. Yeah. Dude, I love them. I think we've got three or four videos up by them. Yeah, dude. I love them. Yeah, they're great. They are great. They're like musical wizards. They make me feel like... They make me feel like what I do, like I'm like a caveman. <laughs> yeah, dude, Bob's a, he's a tricky, clever, weird dude. I, yeah. Yeah, and their guitar players like Matt Jordan and Matt Frank are both just like, whoa. Yeah, gotcha. All right, man. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Aurora, Chicago, you're out there kind of in their hood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Braden, hey, Mercedes. I, I just got done talking to Damon. Damon was on my show for two hours. I, I like Awesome. Like... He's like one of my drumming heroes, and um, yeah, he's great. I got a hold of that guy. He's kind of elusive, very busy. Runs a restaurant. He's like running music festivals, and he's on tour, and he's in Japan. And like, I thought, like, just I'm never gonna peg this guy down. And I finally got a hold of him, and dude, he hung for two hours. He's an animal. He just talked, talked, talked. He was great. And um, Bob was uh, on the show quite a while ago, and uh, I actually, I actually paid Bob through that downright service that he does. Mm-hmm. And I paid him to write a theme song for the show. And he did. And I actually use it at the end. So oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I am, I am, I go deep. I'm a braid nerd. So yeah, man, that was awesome. I'm so happy you mentioned lifted bells. That's great. I love that. <laughs> that's great. Small world. That's awesome. You would enjoy too. Then the sessions we, we have a couple of videos from a band called recreational drugs. Oh, nice. Is, Never heard of him. That's uh, Matt Frank from Lifted Bells. It's his other band. It's just an instrumental band, but they're also really technical and mathy and like crazy shit, too. So I think you'd also enjoy that. This is good. I'm writing that down. Right on, dude. Thanks for your, thanks for your time. This was awesome. Thank uh, As the Story Grows is a part of Lavera Productions. High five. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at As the Story Grows and visit the site at asthestorygrows.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything and subscribe to my YouTube page so you can see unedited interviews. Visit the Bandcamp link in the notes of this show for free cover songs, some free tunes, and merch. If you like what you heard and would like to help, there's a Patreon link on every episode. Or you can look for the dollar sign on the website for one-time donations. If you can't afford to donate, that's totally okay. Tell a friend, retweet me, and give me a good rating on iTunes. Send your guest requests and any feedback for the show to asthestorygrows at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening today.
We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.